that's kind of part of that lead gen strategy too, because if we're getting their phone number, it's so inexpensive to get that phone number. And now we can text them and SMS has a 99% open rate. And what I'm finding my clients that are making that shift and investing more in SMS marketing, we're able to spend a lot less in social media advertising because SMS easily will have 50 to 80% click-through rates. It'll have, you know, seven to 10% conversion rates and it goes a lot further. Hey there, this is Kenny Soto, the host of the People of Digital Marketing podcast. And you just heard a clip from our latest guest, Ashley Klein. Ashley is a digital marketing consultant and freelancing expert. As the VP and co-founder at Ice Cream Social, Ashley has over 17 years of experience specializing in marketing strategy, execution, and collaborative efforts. She is a proponent for the importance of word-of-mouth marketing in today's digital age. And across her tenure in the field, Ashley has held nearly every role in the digital marketing space, giving her unmatched expertise in customer acquisition and email search and content marketing. But today, we kind of talk about, I would say, 90% of this episode being event marketing. So if you're promoting an event and or you do that as your 9 to 5 or this is just a one-off project that you're doing for the year, this is definitely an episode that you will be interested in. As well as, I would say the other 10% of this episode, she talks about the differences of being an entrepreneur intrapreneur and solopreneur i think there's a lot of value in that portion of the episode also in an effort to give you upfront value before listening to the interview because i think this is the most important part the biggest nugget of wisdom in the episode and at the same time just being transparent in my own journey with this podcast and trying to grow it over time Ashley's biggest piece of advice for any marketer who's promoting events and kind of any marketer who's promoting anything really is finding opportunities to collect first party data, building out a customer list, and then leveraging that for more effective campaigns. And the reason why she mentions this is for two reasons. One, as you build out your list, not only in number, but with information collected, you ultimately reduce cost of acquisition. And at the same time, there's the ancillary tangential benefit of learning more about your customers. And if you are not currently making a concentrated effort into one, growing your list over time, and two, getting more data points asking more questions past name, phone number, and email, you got to do that because it's going to help you learn more about your customer, how they tick, what makes them unique, and the unique data points, the unique information that you're getting, that's really one of the competitive advantages that you'll have in the market today. I'm thinking of doing this myself, currently contemplating what free ungated content I can provide to my audience, you listener, in exchange for your email, your phone number, 
your name, and then eventually start asking, what is it that you want to learn on this podcast? What areas of marketing do you work in? What areas of marketing do you want to learn more about? So I say all this to say that as with every other episode of this podcast, it's my goal to bring you along on a journey of becoming a better marketer. It's not just for myself, but also for you, the listener. It's my way of giving back. One of the best parts about being in marketing is that everyone has advice on how you can be a better marketer. And it's my job to capture that information and organize it, curate it, and provide it to the community. So without further ado, let's learn from Ashley Klein about Invent Marketing. Hi, Ashley. How are you? Hi, Kenny. I'm great. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. I feel rejuvenated and ready (laughs) to learn. So before I even dive into the many questions that I have for you, I always like to start these episodes off by getting context about your background. So my first question for you, Ashley, is how did you even get into digital marketing? Hmm. Loaded question. Uh, (laughs) If I go way, way back, I would say my love really began and kind of why I've stayed in marketing with video games. Growing up as a kid, like many of you, I'm sure we all played video games, loved video games. My brother and I only had one game and that was Mario Brothers. So (laughs) once you beat the game, you beat the game and you got to get really clever on, you know, keeping it fun and interesting. So I just remember us playing it over and over again and just creating new challenges and really that idea of like optimization. Okay, how can we beat the game in less time? How can we collect more coins? How can we save more lives? You know, all of those kind of things uh, led me into this love that took me a long time to realize, but what makes marketing so much fun for me? Because um, I'm sure as anyone on the podcast listening, who's a marketer, it's a really great career because anyone can come in and tell you how to do your job better. So (laughs) there's always ways to be improving. And that's one of my favorite things is like getting a campaign launched and digging into the pieces of it and improving it. And so I've kind of carried that love through getting started um, right out of high school, started working for a company, uh, doing sales for free. Uh, commission only took me nine months to close my first job. So essentially I worked for nine months without making any money, but they said, if I did that, I could show up once a week at night and they would teach me how to code and do HTML. And so I did that because I learned, I wanted to learn HTML because my dad had a company and I wanted to teach him that he was spending his entire marketing budget in yellow pages. And I was trying to teach him about the internet. And I wanted people to type in uh, roofing and his business would come up. And so I wanted to learn HTML so I could learn search engine optimization, which to me was the ultimate video game. And then from there, just continued to kind of add on new marketing skills along the way. With the video game analogy, I want to play around with that. I I love video games myself. Now, this is also vague for a reason. But when you're thinking about the levels in a video game as you progress, also with the levels of life and career as a marketer, there are definitely many paths to choose from. But what would you say is the general career progression from start 
to finish for a marketer today? Mm, great question. And that is a great video game analogy because it is hard to jump from world one in Mario to world four without doing two and three. Uh, so it is important to kind of stack on those skills and learn along the way. And I would say there's not really a linear path. And one, if we're just going to dive right into it, I'll just keep compounding on this question. <laughs> so I read a book early in my career. Uh, it doesn't have to do with career advice, but the book is called The Desire Map. And her name is Danielle Laporte, I believe. And basically, she asks you all these questions. You spend a few days going through this desire map workbook. And at the end of it, you basically come to a list of words that describe how you want to feel and how you build a life around that in every area of your life. And this book has been so instrumental in my life that I often redo this book every couple of years because your life changes. You know, what you wanted at 20 is not the same at 35. And as I've done this several times now, the one word that always comes up for me is freedom. And I always want that freedom to choose or to pivot my path or to take a different route. And I do love that about marketing. I feel like that is a great career where, okay, I've played around in email, but now I want to learn social ads. And it's beneficial to know a little bit about everything and um, just always having that freedom to make the choice that I want given where I'm at in my life. And freedom can be defined however you may choose. Me, it's that freedom of choice and decision and pivoting and being responsible for my own income and all kinds of things, making my own schedule. So Ashley, would you say that we, we, I, I would also agree that there really is no set path a marketer can take. But would you say that one of the unique aspects of being a marketer is the ability to obtain that freedom that you just mentioned? Oh, 100% agree. Yes. Got it. When it comes to, I guess this is a good segue into talking about freedom. Why did you create Ice Cream Social? What is Ice Cream Social? Sure. So... Before I tell you all about ice cream social, because I feel like this is a great segue from the word freedom to ice cream social, is this idea that I also carry of being, uh, I'm using bunny ears right now, but a preneur. <laughs> and essentially to me, what that means is I basically have three different, work within three different preneurships here. So an intrapreneur. So I do work with an actual company as an employee. And I've essentially come in, built my own role, built my own department, and still have that entrepreneurship mentality within the company that I work for. And as well as solopreneur, uh, having my own consulting career on the side, my own way of building passive income through the different marketing you know, tools and things that I work on as well as entrepreneur. And that's kind of where we segue into ice cream social. And without that intrapreneur 
and solopreneur experience and dynamic, I would have not become an entrepreneur because I'm very happy either way, working within a company that has the structure that I need or working by myself, um, which in marketing, I think a lot of times, a lot of us like to work by ourselves and got to learn how to kind of plug into the different teams. And so Ice Cream Social is a company that was founded out of a need for our clients. And it is essentially a widget that you can bolt on to any website or checkout flow. And on the front end, it incentivizes word of mouth marketing in the digital world we live in today. Hey, you just bought tickets to this event. Invite five friends to go with you. And if they make a purchase, we'll give you a ticket refund. Um, So on the front end is that kind of word of mouth gamification. And then on the back end, we're helping a lot of our clients collect first party data on their customers that they didn't necessarily have because uh, especially in events, which is kind of a, um, an area that I focus on the most, uh, they don't always own their checkout flow. So they don't have all their customer data. And so um, Ice Cream Social originally was birthed from that idea of how can I help my clients sell more tickets to their events without increasing their advertising budget? Because a lot of times that's just not an option. So how can we get scrappy here? Uh, work with your existing customers to turn that into uh, more revenue. Where are most event marketers, or I would say, what are most event marketers doing wrong with their marketing strategies this year? Most of the clients that I work with, the first thing that I kind of revamp as we get started in marketing their event is their strategy. So what a lot of event companies do, and I say event companies because a lot of times um, these event companies work pretty scrappy. Um, it's a lot of people wearing a lot of hats. So it's not always the marketer that came up with the strategy, or sometimes there's not a marketer in the company. Uh, so that's kind of first problem. But um, essentially, what I'll see is that they turn tickets on sale, and then they put up some Facebook ads and drive people directly to make a purchase. And that's great. That sells tickets, of course. But they don't have a list to work with. So we all hear that, you know, the money's in the list, email, phone numbers, that sort of thing. And so what I do is I help all of our clients do a lead generation campaign, as we call it in marketing. And we'll run some ads and we'll tell people, hey, sign up to be a VIP. We will let you know the day tickets go on sale and at what time. So you can be first in line, you get the best price, you get for selection, whatever this VIP package is going to look like. And we will run a lot of ads to generate these leads before we go on sale. And so that's kind of the piece that's missing is that pre-sale marketing. Because if you're running, I just say Facebook ads, but any kind of social media ads, the cost for someone to fill out a form and give you their name, phone number, email is pretty small, maybe a dollar less if it's a great market, great event, maybe a little more if it's a niche event, smaller market, but let's say a dollar to acquire a lead. Now, if you turn your ads on and you're driving people directly to purchase a ticket, then that's a lot more expensive. That might cost you 15, 20, 
up to $150, depending on your ticket price. And so if you can spend a majority of your budget generating those leads, um, then you've got that database to really carry you through the sales cycle and, and hopefully have a strong opening night where you make enough money on opening night where everyone can kind of breathe a little because hard costs are covered, venue fees, that sort of thing. And you can focus on, on profit. Let's talk more about budgets. Obviously, advertising is one of many levers, if you will, that you can pull. And there are channels within ads in and of itself. Where should marketers in general be considering budget placement this year? Sure. So I do still believe that despite iOS updates or whatever complaints anyone has, rising costs of ads... Um, Meta is still the best bang for your buck in terms of what I've seen. Um, so we do shift a lot of budget towards that as opposed to other social channels, Google display, and then depending on the type of event, we might carve out for things like radio, TV, billboards, um, which is a little more costly in general, but we do make sure it has a very um, digital component to it. And that kind of leads me into the other place where I'm helping clients shift more of their budget to, which would be SMS marketing. And, and that's kind of part of that lead gen strategy too, because if we're getting their phone number, it's so inexpensive to get that phone number. And now we can text them and SMS has a 99% open rate. And what I'm finding my clients that are making that shift and investing more in SMS marketing, we're able to spend a lot less in social media advertising because SMS easily will have 50 to 80% click-through rates. It'll have, you know, seven to 10% conversion rates and it goes a lot further with your money, essentially. Um, I mean, my clients that are investing in SMS, I would say 75% of their sales now come from SMS as opposed to before where it was 90% Facebook ads. How are you shrouding like a balance between, and I, I'm assuming here, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming you're doing nurture sequences within SMS in order to get them to do the close. How are you balancing that with any other omni-channel strategies? Let's say you're doing nurturing through SMS, but there's also a newsletter and there's also retargeting ads. How are you finding that balance? Yeah, so... One is having the right CRM in place where we can see kind of that holistic view of what someone is doing, what pages. Um, I'm, I'll just, I'm a big fan of active campaign for CRM. So if I'm saying an example, it's usually them. That's who I work in the most. Um, so being able to have an active campaign script on your website, then anyone inside of your database, which if we do that lead generation campaign. You've got all of the prospects in your database already. Now we can see what pages on your website they're visiting. We can see, you know, what SMS messages they've seen, they've opened, they've clicked through, same with their emails. We can see exactly what products they purchased. Um, so I think one, being able to do like very smart omni-channels, having the right CRM. So you can do that, what feels like a one-to-one -one marketing campaign. Um, and then in terms of SMS and creating a unique experience in a very similar way with a CRM and placing a script on your site now, we know what pages someone visited. So we could send someone 
an SMS after seeing they went to the FAQ page and say, hey, do you have any questions? And just start a conversation. I work a lot with attentive uh, and I'm beta testing a, a new feature right now. I think I can talk about it. Uh, it's called concierge. And basically what they do is now attentive because a lot of companies don't necessarily know how to fit this into their marketing stream yet or have all the manpower. What attentive will do with this concierge product is they will be part of your sales team. So any questions that come in, they'll answer and lead everyone to a purchase for you. And it's really neat. So I think that having the right abandonment triggers in place, the right journey set up, uh, the same way that we're used to thinking of email marketing, you can do the same thing in SMS. It's not just blasting out a message anymore. It can get very specific and granular. You can remove anyone. You can create a segment, remove anyone who's already made a purchase. So you're not like spamming people with a promotion every week. That's amazing. Let's just assume that there is a recession going on right now. Are you feeling this recession in the events industry? Yes and no. Okay. Why do you say that? It really varies. So some clients who have not necessarily reinvented themselves yet, the experiences that we have experienced in the past I think needs a facelift. For example, I do a lot of fun runs and I love the fun run industry. It's my favorite thing to do marketing campaigns for. And those clients who have come back post COVID because last year events sold great, amazing year. Um, This year, it's been a little more tricky ever since maybe April, May. And so those who have really upgraded the experience. Again, everyone's looking for that Instagrammable moment. So you really got to think through the experience now and what a consumer is going to go through. So those that have upgraded their experience, great. Also, it I've seen it really vary by market. And by market, I mean what city an event is going to. So it just depends, but yes and no. And I wouldn't I still wouldn't call it quite a recession in a sense is just not the same. And we've been in a very ever-evolving um, landscape from COVID and beyond. No, that makes total sense. And with most things, it's usually yes and no, because everything's so variable that even the listener who's listening to this right now probably is experiencing something completely different or similar. When it comes to startups in general, is it even possible to fast track the growth of a startup and how would it even be possible? Good question. It it takes me back to that original discussion around uh, video games and jumping levels and yes and no. Uh, there's some important lessons as a startup that you need to learn in order to have um, a long lasting business. And you got to have that kind of long-term vision. The other point I wanted to make on that is Sales and partnerships. So one thing that I learned through the company that I work for, where I'm an entrepreneur, and I have carried that into my solopreneur, and now this entrepreneur life is channel sales. I'll explain it in a couple different settings. So I'll start first, because I think most people listening are marketers maybe freelance marketers. So I'll start there. And so as a solopreneur, 
how I've approached this idea of channel sales is when I started my career, and that was 17 years ago, um, for the first two years, all I did was networking, you know, went to every single chamber of commerce, breakfast, lunch, dinner, anything I could go to, met as many people as possible. And those two years were enough to fill my well, where essentially I've never had to hunt down business. And through those relationships, what I learned is it's so hard to get that one-to-one sale, that one client, that one um, that one gig, you know, if you're doing a website or a one-time campaign, like you work so hard just to get that sale. And then you got to do the project and then you get in this feast and famine of like generating new sales, but now you got to do work and it's, it's a balance. And so what I learned early on in my solopreneur career is this idea of channel sales. So I align myself. If you're a digital marketer, put together like a really fun, beautiful resume. I found like a template on Canva. And um, what I do is I talk to, I almost exclusively only work with agencies. Because agencies, they have the clients. Not only do they have the clients, they have the clients with budget. And they are always in ebb and flows. And they always need consultants coming in to work on projects. And so um, I've never, I've aligned myself with three or four agencies that I love. And when I want more business, I let them know. And they've always got work. Or if I don't need any work, I can always let one go for a little bit. And then they boomerang it'll come back if it's there just of course if you take good care of your relationships and do good work that sort of thing but working with agencies has been great as a solopreneur which you're probably thinking oh well, I don't want to work for an agency that's why I'm a solopreneur but um, it's a lot different working in that dynamic than necessarily being a part of the agency and then um, for ice cream social we have that same mentality of channel sales. So instead of going out there and looking for all of these different clients who want to sign up and use our product, the cost per acquisition can get um, daunting. And it's a lot of work on our sales team to have to be out there and just handpicking one by one clients to work with. And so we align ourselves with different partners. So an example here would be Square. Um, the merchant processing company. So we have a partnership with Square and we're in Square's marketplace. And so Square essentially brings us a lot of clients and vice versa. And so um, we're not out there going one by one. We work with Square and Square brings us clients. And then same, we have other partners aligned just like that. And so we focus on um, these channel partners and we'll do weekly calls with them and kind of, you know, that same networking mentality of, you know, wanting to bring them business, but it's just a lot more efficient on your time. If you can align yourself with the right companies that complement your business. So then my last question for you, Ashley, if you had access to the time machine and you can go back into the past relatively 10 years, give or take knowing everything, you know, right now, how would you specifically accelerate the speed of your career? Mm, I would say there were so many things that I put off doing for years or things that I didn't stick with for myself. Like one would be blogging and getting clear on what my path is with passive income and aligning myself with the right tools. Like if you have an idea, go for it and see it through to the end and focus on your career path. 
um, a lot of times I always want to help, you know, the companies I'm working with and will kind of put my own stuff to the side. And it took me a while to learn that. And once I stopped doing that, uh, I just I can't believe how quickly my business excelled, you know, where energy goes, it flows. And I would just say, you know, if you have a vision for yourself, don't let that go. Stay with it, even if it's, um, you know, working on it couple hours a week, whatever you can do. Um, sometimes our own dreams seem so big in our own head that it's hard to get started. And you stress about the timeline and, you know, not being where you want to be, but just get started. That's awesome. Now, Ashley, if anyone wants to say hello to you online, where can they find you? You can go to my website, Ashley N, the letter N for Nicole, Klein, C-L-I-N-E.com. And thanks for your time today. And thank you to you, the listener, for listening to another episode of the People Digital Marketing Podcast. And we are above 100 episodes at the recording of this episode. So if you haven't done so already, please rate us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I'd greatly appreciate it. Thank you. On the next episode, episode 111, 111. Some people think that's a lucky number, but I won't digress into that. I'll have Dan Sanchez on the podcast. Again, with this podcast, I always have the opportunity of meeting very, very smart people. And Dan is no exception. Dan is the director of audience growth for Sweetfish, a podcast agency for B2B brands. And in the next episode, we talk about podcasting for B2B brands. If you don't know who Dan Sanchez is, definitely give him a search on LinkedIn and you'll immediately obviously give him a follow because he is an expert for a reason. And if you work in the world of B2B, you'll definitely want to subscribe and listen to next week's episode because he makes the case for why a podcast is an important customer acquisition and customer retention tool. So I won't dive into the details just yet, only because... If you want to learn more, you're going to have to wait until next week. And as always, I hope you have a great day. Bye.